Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Please grab your Bibles and open them with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. We are continuing our study this morning through the Gospel of Mark. We've been studying up until this point through Jesus' life and ministry and are looking at this theme, really, of Jesus alone. The title of the message today is Just Jesus. And I love how the, the Lord led our worship team to pick and sing these songs that we sang this morning because I think they tie so well into these verses. And uh, what we mean by just Jesus is that in chapter 9, we see a, uh, a familiar or a popular passage in the Bible where Jesus is transfigured. Now, everyone say transfigured. Now, what we mean by that is Jesus is clothed with humanity, but he is also fully God. And there's a moment that Jesus has with three of his disciples up on a mountain where he's changed, and they are able to see the glory of Jesus. And uh, they witness this up on the mountain. And so that's really our desire today is as we read through this, that we would see Jesus in our circumstance and in our situation. And really the point that we want to remember today as we read through this chapter and study it today is that Jesus' identity is revealed through majesty and authority. And we've been talking a lot about Jesus' identity. The series title of this, you know, book that we're studying is Servant Savior because we see Mark present Jesus as the Son of God, the Servant of Men, the Savior of the world. But there was a confusion about Jesus' identity, not only with his family and his friends, but also even with his foes and his enemies, the spiritual and religious leaders. And so Jesus has really transitioned over this last chapter and in his ministry to talk about the real reason that he has come. And that reason is in the prediction of his death, burial, and resurrection. He did that in chapter 8. He's doing that again in chapter 9. And so as we see Jesus' majesty displayed for the disciples to see, we also see his authority continue over these spiritual forces and his power that he has. And so we're going to see this in four simple ways, just a very simple outline. I think our outline is very helpful for us today because Mark chapter 9 is is, uh, quite long. We won't be able to read every single verse, but we'll summarize and make sure that we understand what is happening in this chapter and then pull out some application for us. But first we're going to see Jesus' display of his splendor to his disciples. Secondly, we're going to see Jesus demonstrate his sovereignty over spiritual forces. Thirdly, we're going to see Jesus declare his suffering. So we have the splendor of Jesus, the sovereignty of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection, the prediction of what he has come to do. And then lastly, we're going to see Jesus describe the secret to greatness, and uh, which is really modeled in his life and ministry. So a lot to get to, jumping into Mark chapter 9, verse 1. We read, and Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now, in the context of that, Jesus is not talking, in the immediate context, Jesus is not talking 
about some future event after life, but he's talking about this moment that he's going to have with his disciples that some of his disciples, not all of his disciples, are going to be up on the mountain and really see Jesus in his power and in his glory. And that actually takes place in verse 2. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. So this is a uh, an isolated moment. This is a private, separate moment that Jesus has with three, these three apostles. And in verse 3, his clothes became shining exceedingly white, like snow, such as no launder on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because, now we're told why Peter said this, because, in verse 6, he did not know what to say. I think that's a very interesting phrase. Maybe you've been in a situation like that where there's like an awkward silence, or there's this moment where you feel like, well, you should be saying something, and you open up your mouth and you wish you could just put all those words right back in. That's what's happening for Peter as he says, he really doesn't know what to say, so he just says something. And oftentimes, you can appear very wise if you just keep your mouth closed. <laughs> that's what I try to do. Just talk less and listen more. And in fact, I think that's really one of the main points that we can pull out of this interaction with Jesus transfigured with his disciples. Why? Because he didn't know what to say, and they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came, verse 7, and overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, Hear him. So listen to Jesus. Hear him. Pay attention to him. And suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one anymore, only Jesus. Just Jesus with themselves. Now the story goes on to talk about how the disciples asked Jesus about this Elijah coming. And Jesus describes how John the Baptist's ministry is very similar to, John, uh, to Elijah's ministry in the Old Testament. And so there's a fulfillment of that. We won't read those, but just want to make mention of a couple of things as Jesus here is transfigured, he's changed. We see his splendor displayed for these apostles up on the mountain. A couple of things that take place I think that are quite interesting. One is is that Jesus takes these disciples and brings them into a very private moment. And I can't help but think how important it is for us to spend these types of moments with Jesus. Notice he says that he takes them up on the mountain. If you follow through on this chapter, in the following verses, in verse 14, we see them come down from the mountain. And I think that life is full of mountaintop highs and valley lows, right? I mean, one of the most famous psalms in all the scriptures, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He, 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 he restores my soul. Uh, he... He feeds me in green pastures. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So, so life is full of, of valleys and, and lows and, and difficulties, but it's also uh, full of, of mountaintop highs. And oftentimes we think of those mountaintop highs as moments that we spent with God. And you don't actually have to get away to the mountains, although getting to the mountains are a really great place when you just unplug and you disconnect. You might not be a, quote, camper or somebody who likes to rough it, but that's okay if you just get out of nature. It doesn't have to be a mountain, but where is it for you that you connect with God? Where is it for you that you really experience the presence of Jesus in your life? It could be our beautiful uh, beaches that we have here in San Diego. It could be just behind locked doors in your home because then your kids can't get to you. Wherever it is, 
there is a place that God has for you that you can connect with him. Now, the follow-up question is, is when was the last time you went to that place? When was the last time you were in that, that mountaintop experience and you really, you really saw Jesus for who he was and you really heard him and his word? And I think it's very important, especially in our culture. I mean, this is just a personal thing for me. One of the things I've done over the past 12 months, which is pretty remarkable because I was fully engaged in social media, is on a personal level, I've completely disconnected from Facebook. I've completely disconnected from uh, Instagram and from other social media channels. And uh, in one sense, I feel disconnected from some people. But in another sense, I just such a healthy, my, I mean, I just feel like so, so purified in my soul. I don't know if there's a way to say that. That's not to condemn anybody who's on social media because it's wonderful. It's neutral. You can use it for really good things. And we are actually using that for ministry here at the church. But... To disconnect, I'm, there's, we need to do that in our culture. We've got to disconnect so that we can really connect. Notice that Jesus says, not only takes them up on a high mountain, because those private and separate moments with Jesus bring, I think, the most stunning revelations of who he is. And so if we just open up our, our, our Bibles and open up our hearts and, and disconnect and get in a private, quiet moment, we've talked about this before, it could be in your commute, in your car, because that's your quiet time and your quiet moment. It could be before the kids get up, even if it's 15 minutes before, so you can just read a couple of verses and just focus your heart and your soul and your life on the day and what God has uh, for you. There's these moments where... So that you, you have these revelations. It doesn't have to be super stunning and like transfiguration. I saw Jesus. But it could be that he's going to speak a word to you in your life that is just right for the season. It's just right for your heart. It's just a hope or an encouragement that you needed. Now, what happens, though, is that life is not just mountaintop highs, it's not these stunning revelations. Life is messy, and life is full of, of difficulties, and life is full of these types of valleys. But we're prepared in the moments, in the private moments with Jesus. That is where he prepares our hearts for the difficult moments of life. And so we spend them with him, with him and the disciples have this opportunity to see Jesus. Now, we cannot take away the fact of the glory and the majesty and the just the power of Jesus. I, it re reminds me of a story in the Old Testament where Moses went up on the mountain. He spent 40 days and 40 nights with God and, and his face was just shining. And when he came down the mountain, there was a lot of issues and a lot of problems, if you remember the story, with the children of Israel in his absence. But his face was glowing and he put a veil over it, not to hide the glory of God, but to, sh to hide the fact that it was fading. So we need to be in Jesus' presence always because that's just going to naturally fade in our lives is just being with him. But it, it reminds us that as you go up into the mountain with, with, with Jesus, he's going to strengthen you. He's going to sustain you. He's going to minister to you. But we see this glory of, of, of Jesus. And the Bible teaches, which is kind of it's hard for us to grasp. However, the Bible does teach us that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And one of the greatest passages in the Bible is Ephesians chapter 2, which talk about how Jesus is equal to God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the, quote, likeness of men. It was needed that Jesus was pure and sinless to be clothed with humanity, setting aside his power and, divin his power and authority as divine, fully God, 
so that he can relate to you and I. So, because the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And that life is in the blood. And the animal kingdom has life, but that, that blood is completely different than humankind. The human soul was created in the image of God. And that's why Jesus came in the image and likeness of men. And so his sinless, pure blood was the only sufficient payment for the forgiveness and the penalty of our sins. So Jesus is clothed with this humanity. But we see this little glimpse. And Jesus first, here in the Gospels that we read today, Jesus first came as a suffering servant. He came to serve and wash and minister to our needs, to give his life as a ransom for many. But Jesus is also coming back as the conquering king. We are looking for his return. And in fact, the Bible tells us about so many things that will happen prior to his return to be ready. But we see the glory of Jesus. And we can see the glory of Jesus revealed in his word. If we spend these moments with him, there's things that Jesus desires to teach you and show you that can only be revealed as you get, get together with him in quiet moments. But there was some confusion not only for the disciples, but also sometimes even in our own lives. Why? Because there are other things competing for our attention. Now, we're told that Peter did not know what to say, and he was really afraid, so he just blurts this out. I can relate. Sometimes I don't know what to say. There's an awkward moment. I want to fill the void. You know, if we're going to hear Jesus as this voice from heaven speaks down to the disciples. This is my son. Hear him only. If we're going to hear Jesus with our ears, we need to close our mouths more often. Right? That's a part of prayer. It's a part of conversation. But oftentimes I rush in and just blurt out everything that I need and that I want. And then I go on my way. But to really sit, to really listen to really hear the voice of Jesus because Jesus' voice, according to these scriptures and the rest in the, in the New Testament, Jesus' voice should be the loudest that we listen to in life. Now, I don't know about you. I live way out east, but I think I heard all those people in Petco Park last night screaming and applauding and cheering for the Padres when they won that game. Man, I could hear all of San Diego rejoicing. They, and what's interesting about that game as I was watching it, and they scanned through, I don't know if you've watched any of it, but they, they scanned through all the crowd, and you could just see the flood of emotion in all of these people. I mean, I saw people literally praying. I thought, wow, this is great. And God answered their prayer. And they should be in church the next day. A big revival in San Diego because the Padres won a game. They beat their arch nemesis, the dragon from the north. No, they're praying. So I know that people can pray. And then I saw some extreme emotional distraught in like the early innings. In the people's faces, they were like in agony. And uh, I saw people, I mean, I've never seen people dress like this before. But they were showing some pride in their team. And they were showing some emotion. I thought people can show some emotion. They can pray and they can be passionate. Hey, how about the church doing that? How about we as Team Jesus, right? I mean, that's not, I'm, not, I'm not taking anything away from the fun that this is for our city and baseball and sports. I mean, it may be fun for you. It could be, okay, big deal. No, whatever. It's something else. But it's fun. However, I think the point that I'm trying to 
to make here is that there, there can be a lot of distractions. And for us to hear the voice of Jesus, hear him, be passionate about him, seek him, serve him, right? Hear Jesus. Are you hearing Jesus in your life? You might be thinking, that sounds kind of weird. How do I hear Jesus? Well, you hear Jesus by opening up your Bible. Jesus speaks, and he always speaks. He continues to speak. But the problem is, is that we're not listening. And in order for us to listen, we got to quiet ourselves down. we got to tune in to the voice of heaven. Because that voice, that voice sometimes comes as a still, small voice. It's not like the record-setting attendance in Petco Park that the whole stadium shakes. Uh, sometimes it's a still, small voice. And I often miss that still, small voice because I'm just consumed and full and busy and hurried and just distracted by so many other things. To see Jesus for who he is in these private moments and to hear his voice and his voice alone. Notice it says, there was no longer Moses, there was, which is the law. There was no longer Elijah, which is the prophets, but it was Jesus who fulfills the law and the prophets. There's nobody else who we should see or who we should listen to in life but him. And that's a lesson on priorities as we would set our affection and our attention on him. However, the story continues on. Look with me in verse 14. Remember, keep track with their journeys. They're up on the mountain. They have this experience. They see Jesus. There is power. They're told not to tell anyone. And they're going to reflect on this because if you read the Gospel of John, this apostle was on the Mount of Transfiguration and he says, we beheld his glory, the only begotten of the Father. So he talks about it in his Gospels, but they come down the mountain. Look with me in verse 14. And when he came to the disciples, now the Gospel of Matthew says as they came down the mountain, he saw a great multitude around them and the scribes disputing with them. And immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him greeted him. And Jesus asked the scribes, what are you discussing with the, with the disciples? And then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought to you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. It's a good lesson in life. Whatever problems we have in life, bring straight to Jesus. And then when they brought this boy to Jesus, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said from childhood, can you imagine the agony that this father and this family is experiencing because of the affliction in this boy's life? And we know that it's agony because he replies with tears in the next verses. From childhood, Jesus We've been afflicted by this pain in our home and in our family and at the dinner table and on the car ride, wherever we go. There's this thing we just can't deal with, we can't fix. And, and as often this happens, verse 22 is thrown into the fire and water to destroy. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said in verse 23, if you believe, 
all things are possible to him who believes. Everyone say possible. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I think this is such a raw and honest interaction that Jesus has with this father who is desperate to see healing in his son. We'll pause there because the story goes on to see Jesus deliver and heal this boy and also describe for his disciples that this type of affliction only comes out by prayer and fasting. So apparently and obviously Jesus was practicing prayer as well as fasting to be ready for these types of situations. And so secondly, we see really Jesus demonstrate his sovereignty over spiritual forces. I see a couple of things here. One is the desperation in the situation. And I mentioned that as you go up on the mountain, sometimes when you come down, there's going to be life and there's going to be problems. And so the daily meditation that we spend with Jesus in private moments prepares you and I for the difficult situations that we have in life or even with people. Now, this man goes to the disciples and the disciples weren't able to cast out the demon and to heal the boy. And so there was not only desperation, but there was a lot of confusion and frustration. You can imagine this father who went to the Jesus followers and they weren't able to do anything for their boy. And so Jesus is also frustrated because he goes on to talk about how there was this little faith in the, in the generation. Now, I think there's something to be said here about failure because I can relate to a lot of what maybe is happening here in this verse with the disciples. Oftentimes when you try things for Jesus, sometimes you're going to fail. But the Bible is very clear that without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone that comes to him must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In fact, I was uh, having a lunch with somebody this past week and he was talking about how he feels a calling of God upon his life into ministry. And, uh, and yet he was saying that as he's looking at some of the circumstances, potentially those are going to prevent him from really taking steps of faith and pursuing that calling in his life. And I, and I told him, uh, listen, you know, it's very difficult to try to put everything into a nice, neat box when it comes to living for Jesus and walking by faith. Life will never look perfect. It will never be in order. But if you give your life to Jesus, he's going to put together everything that is needed in your life. It's kind of like the whole saying where it's very difficult to steer a parked car, right? It's hard to turn the wheel because there's, there's, there's friction on the road. But it's a lot easier to steer a, park, to steer a car that is moving and that has momentum. The same is true in our lives. It's a lot easier for God to move and direct our lives when we just take those simple steps of faith to trust him. The Bible also says that whether we turn to the right or to the left in our lives, our ears will hear a voice behind us saying, this is the way, walk in it. It really ties into hearing the voice of God speaking and leading and guiding and him saying, okay, well, I want you to turn here. But I also told this man that if this is a calling of God in your life, then uh, no amount of any other pursuit is going to satisfy or bring contentment that you need to take this step of faith and you need to trust him and see where God leads. And so, you know, this frustration that Jesus has with the disciples because of their lack of, of faith, it really was not because, you know, Jesus wasn't frustrated with the disciples because they failed 
in trying, but because they had tiny faith. And it's okay to fail because our failures really teach us a lot of lessons. I know I've, I've failed a lot uh, in life, <laughs> but also in ministry. But if we're going back to the Lord and saying, you know what, I, I really just, I sense that you're calling. I, I sense that you're leading and guiding, and this is by faith, and it might not make sense. And it could be radical that God is doing something in your life. It could be just completely out of the box. It could be just some, some great thing that is beyond you, that is actually possible. But notice that this man, he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. There's something inside of us that has a, a desire to trust God fully, but the the, the, the flesh just pulls back just a bit. And oftentimes, what's plausible in our heads limits what's possible in God's hands. What's possible for God to do is greater above what we can possibly ask, think, or imagine. But the plausibility of it, trying to figure it out, trying to calculate it, trying to make sense of it. The Bible says, God's ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth. So are his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord or offered him any counsel? And I, for one, want to serve and follow a great big God who can do great big things. But little faith is what Jesus is saying here. He also said that in the previous chapters. Little faith can accomplish great feats when focused on an infinite God. When it's placed in him. When we trust him. And we get outside of our heads in what is possible, and we put it into the hands of God. And maybe that's an encouragement for you today. Maybe God is uh, encouraging you to take some steps of faith. And I want to challenge you to trust him in those little steps. that He can do immeasurably more. And I think it also teaches us a couple things about failures in life. Because I'm sure none of you have failed at anything. So you guys look very well put together and you have everything figured out. Why are you laughing? Come on now. Of course we failed. But listen, when you fail forward in faith, these are a couple lessons that you can take to the spiritual bank. One is that we don't rely on our own strength, right? Failure teaches us that we don't rely on our own strength. Notice the disciples, they tried. They failed. But when we try to do things in our own ability and our own strength, listen, no person, listen, no person can heal you, can fix you, can can, can save your soul but Jesus Christ. But what's interesting about that is that God chooses to use people. He chooses to use people in our lives to be the tool or the vessel in which to bring about some of that blessing, encouragement, hope, and, and even healing. So it's not about the person that God uses. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. It's about him. So the focus does not come upon the servant. In fact, that's the end of this chapter. Jesus says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, learn to be a servant of all. So the focus is not on the disciples. The focus is not on us. The focus is on Jesus. So we don't rely on our own strength. Secondly, is that we bring our problems to Jesus first. Oftentimes we bring them to somebody else. And it's okay to ask for prayer. It's okay to have the support of others. We need that. It's important. But we cannot bypass the throne room of heaven to go to the door of our neighbor We've got to go to the throne room of heaven first. Take those problems to Jesus and just unload them because Jesus will pick up our problems the moment we lay them down to him. And then lastly, I think fail, uh, failures also teach us the importance of Jesus' presence as a priority in our problems. 
to maintain the presence of Jesus. And you do that, we do that through the word, we do that through prayer, we do that just through seeking him. But oftentimes we just, oftentimes I blow past the presence of Jesus when he's saying, hold up, wait, I got this, don't worry. You don't need to say anything right now. I've got your back. Trust me. Don't move. Jesus is so hard, I gotta move. I gotta do it. I gotta fix it. I gotta change it. It's got to happen now. Jesus is saying, hold on, Sherwood. Calm down. Trust me. Let my presence guide you through this process. Don't rely on your own strength. Hear and listen to me. I just think these are wonderful takeaways for us as we read through the revealing of Jesus' splendor and majesty, but also the sovereignty and the control and the power and the authority that he has over things that are possible or even not possible when we think about it in our own terms. Because oftentimes, I think in my own life, I have a plan A, I have a plan B, I have a plan C, and I just fall back on those sort of plans. It's good to plan. I'm a strategic planner. But oftentimes, God has a plan D that we haven't figured out, we haven't calculated, and it's going to come with a lot of twists and turns. It's going to come with a lot of victories and a lot of failures. But when Jesus is walking right along that path with us and we're following his leading, then we can trust not only his presence but also his divine power to work out all the issues uh, concerning his will in our lives. And so, uh, secondly, or excuse me, thirdly, and then just kind of, we'll just wrap up with these last couple of thoughts because I think it really ties together with what Jesus talks about at the end of this chapter. Look with me in verse 30. Jesus predicts uh, his death, burial, and resurrection a second time. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man, is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying, and they were afraid to ask him. And then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it that you were disputing among yourselves on the road? Interesting, Jesus knows all the private conversations we're having in life. He hears it even though we try to hide it. But they kept silent. Well, maybe if I don't say anything, then he won't know. For on the road, they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, called the twelve to himself, and said, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives, uh, excuse me, receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now Jesus goes on to talk about in the rest of this chapter, we we, we won't get to it today, but in the rest of this chapter, Jesus talks about the, the unity and the harmony that we have in serving Jesus. But he also talks about the warning. Uh, a warning for our lives that if we are going to be used by Jesus, then we need to be holy and pure vessels for God to use. So he says if there's anything in our lives that are causing us to sin, we need to pluck it out. We need to cut it out. We need to cut it off. 
And so uh, just a couple of things that I think are important. Stay with me here because as Jesus is really describing the mission that he has been dispatched to accomplish, we see him declare his suffering for all of humanity. And this really comes as a revelation. This is the revelation that uh, the disciples really don't understand. And, and ultimately, this is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. And uh, we see that the killing of Jesus as the Son of Man or the Messiah or Christ, the killing of Jesus brings the fulfilling of God's plan. And the fulfilling of God's plan is the restoration or the reconciliation of humanity back to God. But because, as the scripture says, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages or the penalty of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And because Jesus has come and the killing and the sacrifice of Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, in our place on the cross, we now have reconciliation with God. That if we place our faith and trust in him as our Lord and Savior, confessing our sins, the Bible says we're a new creation. The old has passed away and all things become new. But it came at a high cost. And that cost was the death of Jesus Christ. And he begins to predict that for his disciples. They didn't quite understand it yet. So there was a reaction. Not only was there a revelation, but there was a reaction. And the reaction was the disciples were unable to see the victory of the grave because of the agony of the cross. They couldn't see past the agony of the cross. In fact, the previous chapters were told that Peter tried to stop Jesus from walking down the path of suffering and of death. However, Jesus said, this is important. For this reason, I have come. This really is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you're going to have some good news, you've got to have some bad news. And the bad news is that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. Who can know it? So don't follow your heart when you hear those sayings or look at the t-shirt or pick up the bumper sticker. It's a bad thing to follow your heart. I followed my heart for many years of my life and it just led me into a ditch. I was a hot mess after I followed my heart. I was broken. But when I followed Jesus, because our heart is going to lead us astray, but Jesus will never lead you astray. He will walk with you. He will lead you in green pastures. He will restore your soul. His rod and his staff, continue on in Psalm 23, will comfort you. That means not only discipline in our lives, but also protection. But in order for us to hear the shepherd's voice, we need to be with the shepherd. As Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. So we want to hear the voice of Jesus. And so he reveals this uh, prediction of the death, burial, and resurrection. And then lastly, we see Jesus really describe the secret of greatness. And who does not want to have a great life, right? We all want greatness in life, but maybe we have a different definition of greatness. Now, in God's economy, it, greatness is defined differently than uh, our world's economy. Our world's economy says what we can achieve and what we can attain and what we can build. You know, Jesus actually confronted that type of culture and that type of mentality when he talked about a man who had all of this wealth and he built these barns. He says, I'm just going to take it easy and enjoy all of my possessions. But that parable said that this man was a fool because his life and his soul was demanded of him and his days were over and he wasn't able to even enjoy those sort of possessions and material things for what will a person give in exchange for your soul and so this teaches us that there's nothing more important than really having our our hearts and our lives close to him and recognizing that as we serve him and follow him 
He's the one that uh, we are being, we're being molded and shaped by him. And so there is, this, there is this challenge to become something, this greatness. The culture says, build this thing, but the Bible says, destroy this thing. <laughs> really, if you think about it, and what is this thing? Our lives, to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross daily. Those who, we just read it in the previous chapter, those who want to save your life, you must lose it. And as we lose our lives, there is when we find true life. And so we are to become, as Jesus became, a servant of all. He says that if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, greatness in God's economy is service to him and to others. It's laying down our lives. Greater, this greater love that Jesus models for us is the same type of love that we would express towards other people. But notice that every time the disciples sought notoriety for themselves, Jesus thought of humility. We are thinking about notoriety. We're thinking about fame. We're thinking about likes. We're thinking about shares. We're thinking about followers, right? We're thinking about all these sort of things. We're thinking about possessions. And we maybe can be consumed with them. I know it happens to me in my own life. And we think our reputation and how we're liked and, and how we're disliked is, has something to do with, with thumbs up on a string, it has nothing to do with that. And, and, and Paul, Paul says that I have fought the good fight. I've run the race that is set before me. There is now a crown laid up for me in heaven. Right? The, the things that you do for, for Jesus here, he sees every single one of those. And there is a reward. You might not get this reward now, but that reward is coming. And greatness is not an award to achieve as we would think about in the human terms, but it is, based on these verses, an attitude to attain. It's not an award that you put on the wall or, or something tangible that you can have in your pocket. It's about an attitude and the character of your heart, meaning I'm looking to the interests of others. There is no life of significance in the eyes of God without a life of service to him and to others. And if we would have that heart as Jesus models that for, in, for us in these verses, then there is where we will find true greatness in life. But it flies in the face of everything that we want to do. Every ambition that we could have. Any recognition even that we could have. But we are here, friends, for the applause of one, and that is Jesus, as we've already sung. Just Jesus and him alone. We're going to have our worship team come on up and lead us in a closing song. But as we do and kind of think about some of these lessons for us this week, one is, where's that place where you see Jesus the most? Where's that quiet moment? Where's that undistracted environment where you encounter Jesus. If it's been a while since you've been there, I'll fill you in on a little secret. Jesus is still there. <laughs> he didn't leave. And he's just waiting to spend that time with you. Listen to him. Hear him, right? These are some great takeaways for us. But also, don't rely on our own abilities and strengths. And if you do have a problem today, a difficulty, a challenge, when you get back into the trenches of life, as we go out from this place... We've got six other days. We've got a lot that's going to hit us. We've got a lot of uncertainty. 
First, we take these problems to Jesus. We bring Jesus into the presence of those difficulties. And we take little steps of faith. We might not be able to see the whole plan or the whole, quote, will of God. But oftentimes, the revealing of God's will in your life comes by small steps in your day. Just little steps, trusting him by faith. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We love you. Thank you for the sending of your son, Jesus Christ. And the question posed in our sermon notes is, how do you hear Jesus speak? And that is our desire today. We want to hear you speak. And we pray that we could quiet our hearts, close our mouths, remove the distractions, and hear you talk sweet hope and comfort in our lives. God, we thank you that you promise to do that as we seek you, as we knock, and as we ask. And I pray also, Lord, that you would give us this heart of service, a heart of laying down our lives for you. And I believe, God, you have called every single one of us in this room to be your ambassador, to be your servant, to be your minister. We are a holy priesthood, a royal nation of people belonging to God. It's not the person up on, it's not only the person up on the stage. It's every single one of us. And no one is more significant or important than the other. We need one another. But you are called by God for something greater than what your life currently exists right now. And that brings a lot of significance to the small things because the Bible says that if we are faithful with the little, God will trust us with the much. Can you trust him and be faithful with the small things that you've got before you right now? Maybe that's even a hard thing to say. I believe God, but help my unbelief. I believe, but this is really tough. I feel like I'm spread too thin. Lord, I pray if there's someone who's experiencing this type of frustration in life, that you would put them back together, encourage them, and use them. Use all of us. But we're also reminded that we should get rid of those things that are going to keep us from really running after you. And we recognize, God, that sin is a very serious problem that requires a severe precaution in life. May you help each one of us cut those things out Cut the tether that is holding us back from loving, serving, and knowing you fully. And it's in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.